Amen. As Pastor Cheyenne said, we're going to continue along the lines of a teaching we started last week on a revelation of Christ. Amen. And we want you to we want to take a look at our main text again. Turn to Matthew. We want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. And we want to start with verse 13. <clears throat> Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And we mentioned last week that's the most important question that you or any other human being will answer is, Who do you say Jesus is? Was he just a good man? Was he just another prophet? Or was he the Son of God? Is he Lord? Amen? The most important question that you'll answer. Jesus said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Amen. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Amen. And we're just going to stop right there. Amen. So Jesus asked his disciples, you know, this conversation goes on. You know, there's, there was talking about Jesus. Jesus was a very public figure uh, in his day. And so Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is? And you know that lots of people, that the real, a person and people's perception of who they are is often different. Because how many of y'all know there were people whose perception and their idea of Jesus was, well, he's just a troublemaker. He, you know, he's just, he's a zealot. He rocks the boat. You know, they were just, they were looking at Jesus and their perception of him was far from who the person was. How many of y'all, you ever found yourself in that boat where people looked at you, amen, and they come to a conclusion about you because one or two things you said out of context or something they saw you do that, that was out of context or maybe something that you did 10 or 15 years ago and they don't think you changed. And they still see you. I remember, you know, there was a particular person in my family that before he got born again, you know, it, you know, he was the kind of person you wanted to trust around some of your belongings. That's 20 years ago. Well, he's got born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. God's just absolutely uh, worked a complete makeover. You know, you see those shows, uh, you know, uh, what's that show? Home Makeover, Extreme Home Makeover. He got an Extreme Holy Ghost makeover. And there's still people that think that that think he's still the same person he was 20 years ago. People's perception of who you are, and you understand this: to that person, that's who you are. To that person, that's the, to that person, that's who you are. Here, Jesus was the Son of the Living God, the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Amen. Who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. To give men the power to become the sons of God. He was the express image of God the Father, the love of God incarnate in flesh, the Word in flesh. And all that anybody ever needed to have their sustenance was in Him, but because, they, because of their perception of Him, it prevented them from receiving from Him. Man, that's good. Some of us, we need to realize that our perception of who Jesus is will affect what we're able to draw from Him. Because, you see, some people have perceived Jesus as Savior, and, and that's good that we can be saved, that we can be redeemed from hell, right? That we can be born again, and we can be redeemed. Because we, our perception of Jesus is as Savior. 
Okay? Some people, though, how many of y'all know, if they don't have the perception of Jesus as the baptizer of the Holy Ghost, because remember, that's what John the Baptist said about it. One of the things John the Baptist said about what Jesus was, said that there's coming one after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, But how many of you know, if we don't have a perception that Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost, well then you'll never be able to receive that from Him, right? Amen. How many of you know that if we don't have a perception of Christ the healer, that you can have a perception of Jesus as Savior. You can have a perception of Jesus as Lord. And you understand when we say Lord, we mean, it means supreme authority. It means He is the final authority. The how He says, I know people. I have people in my family I love dearly. I know people that, that they have a strong belief of Jesus Christ the Savior, but they don't have any perception of Him as Christ the Healer. And so when sickness comes in their body, they don't have faith to draw on Christ the healer, that He spoke in His Word, that He sent His Word and healed me, that by His stripes I'm healed. They don't have that perception. And so it's very important. Who is our perception of who Jesus is? And in this passage we read here in Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, you know, asked the disciples, who do they say? And Peter responded, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning for a few moments with you, is the Anointed One and His anointing. Amen? Christ, you know, we said this last week, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Joseph, Joseph's name was not Joseph Christ. Christ is the title. Jesus the Christ. And, and we want to take a look at that word, that word Christ, it's the word Christos, it literally means the Lord's Anointed One. That there is an anointing on Jesus. He was the one that, that was prophesied that God spoke when, all the way back in the garden when Eve first sinned. And God said, there'll be enmity between your seed and the seed of woman and the, and the seed of the woman will come forth and, will, and, you, and he will, you will bruise his heel but he'll crush your head. Jesus was prophesied of all the way back. God prophesied of the Lord Jesus coming all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so all through the Bible, people were looking for the Anointed One, the Christ, and also translated the Messiah, meant the Anointed One, that He was going to come, the One that was going to break the power of the enemy. Well, you understand, if, if someone is the Anointed, well, just literally what does it mean to anoint someone? Okay, that word anoint... We alluded to this last week. It literally means to rub with oil. That is to anoint by implication to consecrate. Also to paint. Now, some of y'all, we have anointed with oil. We believe in laying on hands for healing. We believe in anointing with oil. And y'all have seen it sometimes. You know, we get we got a little flask of oil and we'll pour a little bit on our hand because you know, we don't want to mess up anybody's hair. We don't want to mess up anybody's face. I mean, and you put a little bit of oil on when you pray for them. How many of y'all know in biblical times when they, when they anointed someone, man, they popped the top on the flask and, man, they dumped it on top of your head and it ran all over the place when someone was anointed. When you were anointed, it covered all of you. We'll get, we're, we're going to get to this. But you understand, the anoint means to be rubbed on, to be smeared on. That there's, and this is the thing, the significance of it is what are you anointed with? What are you anointed with? Amen? I've worked in barns before, cleaning out barns where a friend of mine had horses. He had them big percher and draft horses. They like those big work horses, Sister Julie. Percher and draft horses. And we'd clean those stalls out. And when I got done, I was anointed with something. 
But it wasn't anybody wanted any of that kind of anointing. Because it was rubbed on, smeared on, and painted all over me. Because when I work, I work. Amen. <laughs> but the point is, the significance of the anointing is the substance with which you're anointed. And so you understand that when we're looking at Christ, the anointed, understand this, in the Old Testament, we see, we see the examples of in the Old Testament that, that, that people, when God, uh, you know, when David was anointed. How many of you remember the story of when, when Samuel went, when, when Saul had disobeyed God, and Samuel went to anoint, he went to the house of Jesse, because the Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel and said, there's one there that I'm going to choose the king, uh, my king out of. And that Samuel went, and remember the story, Jesse brought all of his sons by, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit didn't speak. And Samuel said, is this all of your sons? I said, oh, there's one more. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Well, remember that, that he said, well, send for him, because we're not going to eat, because they'd prepared a meal for Samuel. He said, we're not going to eat until he comes. And so David came, and when Samuel saw him, the Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel and said, this is the one, anoint him. And so Samuel the prophet, he was the man of God, he was the prophet, he took the anointing oil that was there, because you understand in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, remember, is our, the Bible, New Testament says the Old Testament was our schoolmaster to bring us to an understanding of the New. And so the Old Testament is full of types and shadows, things that they foreshadow something that is going to be fulfilled in the New, that when the priest took the oil, the oil represented the, the Spirit. Amen? But he would take the oil. David came and Samuel took that oil and he poured it out of his, out of his anointing oil out of the horn, poured it over top of David's head and anointed him king. Now this is what's significant. Man, I was studying this yesterday and... You ever had something just go on the inside of you, just explode in your spirit? Man, some of y'all going to get this. The anointing was to set aside kings and priests. Selah. The anointing, remember one of the things we said about anointing was it was an act of consecration. It sat aside. In the Old Testament, the people that were anointed in the Old Testament were kings and priests. I mean, the Bible says over in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that God has made us kings and priests. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're born again, praise God, the Bible says you have been made kings and priests, and therefore, if the Old Testament's a type and shadow of what God wanted to do, then the anointing, that all through the Old Testament, that anointing came upon kings and priests, then we are in the New Testament, we are kings and priests to our God. Amen? And so there is an anointing that in the Old Testament there's a type and shadow of, but it, there is a New Testament fulfillment of it. And we, and we need to realize, understand this, that if you anointed someone, when, once someone was anointed, they had that oil smeared, rubbed on, it was poured on, and they were saturated with it. That it that, that, when you uh, anointed them, that person was set aside for a particular purpose. Man, some of you are going to get this. When, when the anointing took place, you didn't just look at someone and say, Hey man, come here, I want to give you some anointing today and poured it on them. No, 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 no. When someone was anointed, it was for a purpose. You need to realize that in Christ, in Jesus, you're born again. God, I'm going to give you a verse here a little bit. The Bible says over, I believe it's in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians maybe chapter 1, it says that God has anointed you. 
Amen? God has anointed you. And so in other words, just by, by fact that you are believing. Now, you might not know you're anointed. You might not be aware of it. You might not know that it happened. And that's what I'm here for is to teach. Amen? Praise God. But God has anointed you. And so you realize as a believer, nobody gets born into the kingdom with no purpose. When you come into the kingdom, you have a purpose. Just because you might not be aware of what your purpose is, doesn't mean you don't have one. Just because you don't know what is your place in the body, what has God called you to do. And you understand this, not everybody's going to be a minister. Not everyone's going to stand in the pulpit and minister the Word. Not everybody is going to do that. But you understand that every one of us are ministers. And that there is, a, there is a call in your life. And you have a purpose. And I will promise you this, your purpose is bigger than what you can think. Because you understand, if God made the purpose, if God had the, the job that He has in store for you, if you could think of it yourself, then it's not big enough to be from God. It has to be something, there's a purpose. And so, that when anointed, when someone was anointed, it meant you are being set aside for this purpose. When Aaron was anointed, Aaron was Moses' brother, and Aaron was the first high priest of the, of the children of Israel when, once the tabernacle was built. And when the oil was poured out upon him, and he was anointed, that anointing, his purpose was to be the high priest that once a year when the, sacrifice, when the sin sacrifice was made, that he would go into the holiest of holies before the Ark of the Covenant, and he would represent all the people, all the entire nation of Israel. He would represent them before God. And so he had a purpose, and when he was anointed, that was what his purpose was. When David was anointed to be the king, when that horn of oil was poured out on him and it ran down his head and down the sides of his face and down his body and down his garments, that anointing that was put upon him, there was a purpose that went with that anointing. And the purpose was, you're going to lead my people and you're going to conquer the enemies. Amen? You realize that that was the role of David. David was a warrior. The mightiest warrior in the Word was King David and he was the person that God was going to use to subdue the enemies of Israel. So much to the point, and, and this lets you, don't be disappointed when you have an anointing and when you find out what your purpose is and you do it and there's things that God says, no, 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 you can't do that. Because you understand there were some people that were anointed to do some things, but just not anybody could go into that holiest of holies. The person that was anointed to do that. King David, his anointing and his purpose, remember the purpose followed the anointing, was his purpose was to destroy the enemies of Israel and secure the borders of Israel. But when it came to the spot of wanting to build a house, build the temple for God, God said, no, 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 you're a man of bloodshed. Now, some people think that God was digging on David, that God had ought with David against that. That was not the case. He was fulfilling his purpose. David fulfilled the purpose for which he was anointed to, to be king and rule over Israel and to secure the borders. But God said, but your purpose stops here. No, no, no. When your son is anointed to be the king and the, and the, border, the peace in the borders that you have brought because you've fulfilled your purpose... Then when that anointing is upon him, then his uh, part of his anointing will be to lead the people, to have wisdom to lead and rule the people, but he'll be the one that will build the temple for me. So the, the point is, I want you to realize, is that when the anointing is poured out on someone, there's always a purpose. <clears throat> you don't need to be anointed to do nothing. I'm going to say that again. You don't need an anointing to do nothing. Some people walking around, oh God, give me more anointing. Oh God, give me more anointing. Oh Lord, I need more of your anointing, more anointing. And God's like, why? 
You're not doing anything with what I've given you. God places that anointing. Do you realize the anointing is precious? Anointing oil wasn't just like, you know, Pastor Cheyenne, if we go to Walmart all the time or Sam's and we buy, you know, uh, extra virgin olive oil. We cook with it a lot. We use it on salads and stuff like that. How many of y'all know? Now, you go to buy it and it, it looks expensive to me when it's $7 for a little bottle like that. But how many of y'all know that when we're talking about anointing in the Word, that there was a fragrant anointing oil? But it wasn't just, it wasn't just regular, it wasn't run-of-the-mill olive oil that they used. It was a fragrant olive oil and it was costly and it was expensive. And so it was precious. And so it wasn't just poured out on someone casually. And it wasn't just something that was dispensed with, with haphazard. That it was valuable. And so you need to realize this, is that there is an anointing, and we're talking about Jesus, but you realize we're talking about you too. Because you re, do you realize this, that when God looks and sees Jesus, you, He sees you too. Is this the word? Does the Bible say that if any man... Is the Second Corinthians chapter 5, does it say, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creature. Right? Well, what do we believe that we're in Christ? I remember, uh, was it <clears throat> Brother John Osteen? Was it Brother John Osteen? Brother Hagen was telling a story one time. Brother John Osteen had a vision. And he was praying. And, and he was, as he was praying uh, in this vision, he saw the devil manifest before him. And he felt a little bit of fear try to creep in on himself. Amen? Because this is the thing, you understand this, that by yourself, the devil could whoop you, but we ain't by ourselves, are we? Amen? We're in Christ, right? And so we don't need to be afraid of the, of the devil. If he manifested right here, in, right here in the place, amen, none of us should be jumping out the door, right? None of us should be scared. None of us should be... Why? Because we're in Christ, and we've been given authority. The Word says that we have authority over unclean spirits, right? But you understand, the, brother, the natural human tendency, though, was to feel a little bit of fear come upon you. And Brother John said that while he, while he was praying, said that also in, in, in a vision that Jesus appeared to him. And, and, he was sta- and Jesus walked right up to him, and it was just like he got absorbed right into him. He just stepped right up onto him. And said the Lord spoke to him. He said, you're in Christ. You don't have any reason to be afraid. Amen? So you realize that we are in Christ Jesus, and when we're talking about the Anointed One, it just, you know, it's been said before, when you see the word Christ in the New Testament outside of the Gospels, when you're reading in the epistles and you see the word Christ, just interpret it to mean the anointed one and His anointing. Amen? So when you read that, when we read about Christ, you're talking about Jesus, Christ Jesus the man, but the anointing that goes along with Him. Amen? And so you realize this, is that when the anointing was there, there was purpose. Amen? God has anoint, God anointed Jesus for a purpose. Amen? We're going to, we're going to get to Jesus' purpose but you realize, you realize this, is that in the New Testament, just like in the Old, when people were anointed uh, with oil, in the New Testament, people were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Understand this, to be anointed, you were set aside for a purpose, but understand this also, the power to fulfill the purpose came with the anointing. I'm going to say that again. The power to fulfill the purpose came with the anointing. God has not called you and anointed you to anything that He has not also equipped you to do because the equipping and the power to do what He has anointed you to do, what he, the purpose that He designed you to, when the anointing's poured there, when the purpose is declared, when the anointing's poured out, it also brings along with it the power to fulfill it. And again, some of you might say, well, if I've got any power, I just don't know it. Well, 
Do you know your purpose? Yes, I know my purpose. Have you stepped out and do you operate in the purpose? Because the just like the, the anointing doesn't come without purpose, the power doesn't come if it's not being exercised, if the purpose is not being acted upon. Man. Thank you, Lord. Understand this. Even if you're doing something good, even if you're doing something that the Bible says you're supposed to do, if it's not what your particular purpose is, then God's not obligated for the power of the anointing to flow in your life. Do you understand that? You can be doing something. This is I'll give you an example. When I was going to New Life Church in, in West Virginia, at the time they had a Bible training school right there at the church called Victory Bible Training Center. And the Lord had spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and be submitted to Brother Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry, and be taught and trained to be in the ministry there. And that's what the Lord told me to do. Okay? Why? Because there's a purpose. I'm anointed for a purpose. And God knew that when you, and you understand this, when you got a purpose and you have an anointing, that still doesn't mean you don't take time of preparation. A lot of people miss God there. You've got a call, you've got an anointing, but you fail to set yourself aside and give yourself to it to prepare yourself for what God's called you. But anyway, back to the story. The Lord told me to go to Rama Bible Training Center. And there I was, you know, Mr. West Virginia Hillbilly, stuck up in them hills, loved it. I went on, when I went on vacation, I went to Tennessee so I could be in bigger hills. Amen. Pastor Cheyenne said, I was a mess. She goes, dear God. She goes, people live in the mountains usually go to the beach. I said, not in West Virginia. We go to, other, we go to bigger mountains. Makes us feel better. Amen? But the Lord said, the Lord said, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to go anyplace outside of West Virginia. Yeah? If it wasn't in Wayne County, you know, I'd drive out of Wayne County to Cabell County every once in a while to go to work or get groceries or something. But man, glory to God, I wanted to stay. I liked it there. It was comf- my, my surroundings were comfortable to me because I was familiar with it. But the Lord spoke to me and said, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm like, dear God, that'll take more than one tank of gas to get there. I don't want to go there. Yeah, take four tanks of gas just to get there. And this thing, so uh, I went to Victory Bible Training Center that the church offered because I knew that the Lord, at that time I was a bivocational minister in a denominational church and I knew that the Lord was preparing me for greater work in ministry for what He had anointed me, the purpose that He had anointed me for. Because you, man, thank you Lord, because you understand this, you can be anointed for something for years before the fulfillment of what you've been anointed for. David was. Going back to the story of David. When Samuel anointed anointed David, it was, what, decades. Decades before David began to walk in the role of king of Israel. So important. Just because you're, just because you're anointed and God's poured out the anointing and put something on you, be sensitive to the time of God. Amen? Be sensitive to God's timing. Because how many of you know that if David had said, Woo! I'm anointed to be king. Let's go to Jerusalem and let me sit on the throne. There's a word for that called insurrection and rebellion. And he could have missed his time and could have been killed and missed his purpose. But he was anointed. It wasn't his time. Yes, you're anointed. Yes, there's a yes, there's an anointing that's that's upon you. But anyway, I went to I went to Victory Bible Training Center. Went there and 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 went through a year of classes. Got my little certificate. 
Hey, God, look, I went to Bible school. The Lord said, that's great. Now do what I told you to do. What's your point? My point is I was doing so. Was it good? Was it, was it a good thing that I went there? Yeah, it wasn't a sin. I went there. I was taught the Word. I got to, I got to meet a lot of uh, wonderful men and women of God uh, that were in the classes getting trained for, for ministry in their local churches and, and was fed the Word. And it was good. And it was a good thing. But guess what? It, God didn't tell me to do that. And so, it, and so, like I said, so it was a good thing, but I wasn't, I wasn't even supposed to, you know, I wasn't even part of the plan. Now, did it hurt me any? No, but guess what? There's some things you can do that are good things that can distract you from the real purpose that God's called you to. You, you might be able to do something good, and being able to do something in the kingdom that's, that you can do good might be keeping you from doing the thing that God anointed you to do best. I'm going to say that again so that soaks in. There are some things that you might be able to do that you can do good, but but staying in the thing of doing the thing that's good is keeping you from doing what you've been anointed to do the best. Amen? And so you need to realize how important it is, is that, number one, remember that the anointing is precious. God puts it on you. That the anointing always has a purpose. And that when God anoints you, He equips you to do what He calls you to do. Amen. Do you think that I, do you think that I it, that in my own ability that I've got the ability to stand up and preach and teach the word to people like this? No, it's a, it is anointing from God. It was a, it wasn't anything that I wanted to do. Matter of fact, I remember when I was just when I was a young man and I first felt the Holy Spirit calling me to ministry. I was like, nope, 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 don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. I even took my little trip in the wilderness, you know, my little backslidden period to make sure I didn't want to do it. And messed up a lot of stuff and did a lot of things I'm not proud of when I was a kid. Amen. Just like you. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But you understand that there's a purpose, there's a power for it, and God will put it on you. Understand this. We're talking about this. Jesus, the oil was the type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, we are baptized, we are anointed. Okay? This is getting back to anointed. In the Old Testament, they would pour the oil on. It would be rubbed on, smeared on the person. It was a representation of that person being set aside for a purpose, that person being empowered to do the purpose. Amen? But it was a type and shadow of the New Testament when the anointing becomes that you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. How many of you all know I said earlier, how many of you heard me say earlier that the substance with which you're anointed is what makes the, is what is significant? Amen? And so, Jesus, we're talking about being anointed with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the anointed one, and His anointing. Well, what was Jesus anointed with? Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. I'm just going to stop right there. Just read that first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me. 
Why was the why was the Spirit upon Jesus? Now this is Isaiah saying this, but you understand over in Luke chapter four, Jesus stood up in the synagogue to read, and Jesus took the scroll and he opened the scroll to Isaiah sixty one, and the Lord Jesus stood up, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, God's anointed, the Messiah, he stood up and he said and he read this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, and he goes on down and reads, and then he closes the scroll and he says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, Jesus said, what the prophet Isaiah was saying all those years ago, it's fulfilled right now. I'm here. I am the Lord's anointed. The Spirit. And this is the thing. He said, I'm why was he anointed? He was anointed because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And so the significance is I want you to see here is, is that Jesus, because he was, he was, because he was of the Spirit of God that was upon him, it was the anointing. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the anointing. Amen? Just like in the Old Testament when the oil itself was not the anointing, the anointing was when the oil was applied to the person that was being consecrated. Okay? The Holy Spirit Himself, Amen, He Himself is not the anointing, but He produces the anointing when He's applied to the person to which has been consecrated and called out to service. Do you see the difference there? The substance is not the anointing, but the substance being applied creates the anointing. And so Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. He's anointed me. He's put that anointing on me. And because the anointing is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord is there because He is what, He is what produces that anointing. Amen? And so you understand this, that Jesus, over in John chapter uh, 2, you don't have to turn there, but just write, you can remember this, write it down if you're taking notes. John chapter 2. The Bible said, remember, in John chapter 2 it talks about what was the, th- the big thing in John chapter 2? John chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into wine. The wedding at Cana. Okay? Jesus went to the wedding at Cana and Jesus turned the water to wine. It was a miracle, right? Praise God. It was the, uh, so, understand this. The Bible even says, John 2.11 says, that when Jesus turned the water to wine, that this was the beginning of signs. Okay? I, I, I feel unction to say this, is don't believe that you know, there are other books of the Bible out there, okay, that you can go to. I remember, you know, I, I've read some, read some of the books and I don't even bother with them anymore. They talked about, oh, when Jesus was a, was a kid, that he made uh, little clay figures out of the mud and then he'd breathe on them and they'd come to life. And, you know, he made a little a dove out of, uh, out of mud and, and breathed on it, come to life and flew off. You know, they talk about, and they talk, and I've heard, I've heard believers, don't get caught up in that stuff, that's deception. Because the Bible plainly says in John chapter 3 that the first sign that Jesus did was when he turned the water to wine at the wedding of Cana. Amen? And that was after he was an adult. And it was after, if you'll even study out, in John chapter 1 was when he went and was baptized of John the Baptist. And when he was baptized and came out of the water, that's when the Holy Spirit descended on him. Here's a little something to help your theology about, you know, for, for if you're still wrestling with, okay, is there, you know, because I know the church I grew up in, they talked about there's no such thing as second works of grace. You know, in other words, that was their nice way of saying there's no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is what they were saying. Okay? But you understand this, that Jesus was the Son of God when He was born. When Mary brought Him forth and she laid Him in a manger, He was the Son of God, wasn't He? Joseph wasn't His daddy. Joseph didn't have nothing to do with it. Other than he was the one that God placed him in his, placed Jesus as an infant in his, in his care, right? 
So He was the Son of God when He was born. He wasn't the Christ the anointed until the anointing came upon Him. Amen? When He was baptized, now he was, he was God's Son, and that was His destiny and that was His purpose, but until He was baptized, the, the Bible said, it said the Spirit came on Him and then remained. Right? Because you understand, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but He'd leave. He'd come upon someone, they'd prophesy, and then he'd depart. He'd come upon someone, he'd come upon Elijah, and Elijah chased, beat the king's chariots back to town, didn't he, when the rain was coming. And then the Spirit left. But the Bible says in John chapter, uh, chapter 1 and the other places where it gives the account of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River when he went to John, said he was baptized, and when he came up out of the water, then the, the Spirit descended upon him and, and remained on him. In other words, it didn't depart. Right? And so, you understand this? That, so, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So, and you understand this? That everything that Jesus did, and this throws a lot of people, but this is one of those see law statements. Pastors are going to say this, and see law. If it catches you off guard, say, you understand, everything Jesus did on the earth, all the miracles that Jesus did on the earth, He did not do them as the Son of God. I did not say He was not the Son of God. I said the miracles that He did, He did not perform them as the Son of God. He did them as the Son of Man anointed by God. Because this is the thing, the Bible says this over in John chapter 13 or 14. Jesus said, the works that I do, what were the works that Jesus did? He healed the sick, healed the blind, did miracles, amen. God used Him mightily. Jesus said, the works I do, you shall do also and greater. Now, that doesn't mean greater in quantity. It means larger in number. Why? Why, why? why is His disciples? Because it just makes sense that Jesus, when He was on the earth, He was one person, right? But when He went back to the Father and Jesus said, it's to your advantage. Man, we really underestimate the value of the Holy Spirit. Cross the board. You say, you're talking about yourself too, Pastor? Myself too. Because if we were really, really... That's why if we're praying. That's why I encourage you, pray the Ephesians prayer. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Because we really... You think about it. You would march into hell with a water gun and a switch to beat the devil down if Jesus Christ was standing right beside of you, wouldn't you? Wouldn't bat an eye to do it. Glory to God, where's that water gun? Where's that switch? I'm going to go get the devil. Wouldn't bad an eye to do it if Jesus was doing it with you, right? Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go, the Comforter can't come. The Helper, the Paraclete can't come. Jesus said that you had, it is more advantageous for you. Let me just put it in a way so we can, we can realize this. Jesus Christ said... It, it, he said, Jimmy, you're better off with me going back to heaven and being with the Father so the Holy Spirit can come and be in you and upon you because Him being with you and being in you is better than me walking right beside you holding your hand in everything you do. Woo! Glory to God! Think about how powerful that statement is. It's better to be able to be filled with the Holy Ghost, than if Jesus Christ was walking with us in the flesh. It's to your advantage. Why? Lord God, Because where the Spirit is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Man, see law, help us to meditate on that and get it, Lord.
Hallelujah. Well, what's the advantage? I said this before so many times. You know, remember, the, remember the chainsaw example I've used before. Amen? Some of the biggest problem with the church is so many of us, we don't know what we got. And really, that's just another way of saying what I just said a while ago, is that we don't really fully appreciate the full potential that's available to us. Man, would we ever be scared and uncertain about what life was going to bring if we really had a revelation of the fact that the Lord is my helper, I shall not fear what men can do to me. I'm not talking about you alone. I'm talking about me. Would we really have a concern about, man, I just don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. What, you know, what, what am I going to wear? What are we going to eat? How are we going to take care of it? What are we going to do? When Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Man, that's why, glory to God, that's why you need to pray. God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Because, man, you won't, you won't bat an eye when, you, when we get a revelation that God's got our back and that when He has anointed us and that, that, that anointing, that it has power, it wasn't just perfume. Now remember I said anointing oil was fragrant oil. It was infused with, with, uh, with uh, perfumes so that it had an aroma to it. it. It's not just perfume that God's putting on you. That There's power that's associated with it. And let's take a look at that real quick. Amen? What does... The anointing do. Now remember, we're talking about the anointed one, Jesus, and we're talking about His anointing. Because how many of y'all know that the same anointing that was on Him, He wants it to be on us, because if you're in the body, amen? Lord God, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the Scripture. Psalms 133. Psalm 133. Because I, what I really want us to get out of this and out of this entire series that, you know, that I'm teaching on this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The anointing in you, the hope of glory. And this isn't, this isn't pride. This isn't getting puffed up. This isn't thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. This is thinking soberly of yourself according to what God has said. Because you understand that you're anointed and you, ha- you are anointed and that you have been set aside for a purpose and there's power and equipping to do that and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and none of that's boasting because you're saying let him who boasts make his boast in the Lord. Right? It's his ability. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Amen? I'm just going to stop right there. And so it's talking about how precious, how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. But it's taught, what I want you to see here is, and we've talked about unity and we've used this scripture before in unity of the church, but what I want you to get out of this is it's like the precious oil that was poured out on the head of the priest. Now remember, Aaron was the first high priest. Right? When, when, the, when the tabernacle was built, Aaron was the first high priest. The Bible says over in Hebrews that we have a great high priest, that Jesus Christ is our high priest. So there's a type and shadow here that Aaron was the high priest, and he was a type and shadow of Jesus, 
And like I said before, that because He was anointed and His purpose was high priest. His purpose was to minister before the Lord. His purpose was that He went before the Lord and He represented the entire nation. Glory to God. God's always been interested in a nation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That Aaron went in and he represented, he went before the Lord on behalf of the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Once a year he would go in and he would do that. Aren't you glad that your great high priest, Jesus Christ, that he took your sins and he went in once and for all. He doesn't have to go back and do it every year. He went in once and for all. He went into the heavenly holiest of holies. He went before God. He poured out his blood on the mercy seat of heaven and forever and ever your sins have been forgiven because the blood of Jesus purchased your redemption. Amen. And your great high priest went in and he didn't pour out the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. He poured out his blood on the, on the mercy seat of heaven and he bought your redemption. Glory to God. Here's the part I want you to get out of this though, is that it says that the precious oil, the anointing oil, is what it's talking about, the anointing oil. The precious oil was poured out on the on Aaron's head and it ran down his head and it ran down his beard and it ran all down his garments. It says it went all the way down to the edges of his garments. Amen. And yet he had the priestly robes that went all the way down to the ground, all the way to his feet. He had robes on. And so what I want you to see in this is, is that if you check that oil that was down on the bottom of his garments and down on his feet, and you check that oil that was on his head, now this seems elementary, but I, I hope, I'm hoping we get a revelation of some stuff here. The same oil that had ran down his feet, you checked it, it was the same oil that was on the head. So what's the, the significance here, Pastor? What are you talking about? That's a no-brainer. My point is, is that the Bible says in Ephesians and in other places that Jesus is the head of all things to the church and we are His body. And so if Jesus is... A, if, if, the, if the high priest was a type and shadow of Jesus, and Jesus, the Bible says, He's the head of the church, we're the body, you realize that the same anointing that was poured out on the head was on the body. In other words, it doesn't matter. You say, oh, Pastor, you know, I believe that you know, if someone's an arm or a shoulder or something in the body of Christ, I believe that. But you realize, well, you know, but Pastor, I'm just a little toe in the body of Christ. Woo! Glory to God! Because the anointing goes down to the edges of the garments and the same anointing that's on the head is on the feet. So it doesn't matter what your location in the body is, when God pours out the anointing on the head, it flows down from the head down the beard. It runs all the way down to the body. So there's no deficiency in, in lack of anointing, no matter what your assignment is in the body. God has made sure that the same anointing that's on Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is on you no matter what your location in the body is. We are not without power in this life. We are not with, we are not people left at the mercy of the world or left at the mercy of Satan. We have an anointing. Amen? We want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 10 real quick. What good is the anointing? What's it good for? Amen? You ever had somebody give you a gift? And you look at it and go, this is great. What's it good for? Some of you remember the first time you got an iPod. This is great. What's that good for? Yeah, I've shared the story before when Pastor Cheyenne and I, we got our first iPods. I remember I got a little 8-gig iPod because I saw the box and it said it will hold 2,000 songs. I thought, dear God, I've not heard 2,000 different songs in my life. Why do I need more than 8 gigs of anything? I got one and like six months later I was telling Pastor Cheyenne, I need a bigger iPod. 
She's like, what? I said, I got this one full. She's like, well, 2,000 songs? I'm like, nah, you can put other stuff on them. You can put pictures on them. And you can do this, you can do that. And, that, huh? and found out, you know, but the first time you got one, he's like, well, what's it do? What's it good for? Well, that's what I want you to ask. What's the anointing good for? What does it do? What's its utility? What's its usefulness? Isaiah 10, chapter 27. Uh, chapter 10, verse 27. Now, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the children of Israel. And the Assyri- at, at this point in time in the history of Israel, uh, the Assyrians are oppressing God's people. If you, those of you that are Bible scholars, you remember that at this time, Israel was split. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And the southern tribe, uh, the, tri- the, the nation of Judah, the descendants of David, the, the earthly descendants of David were still sitting on the throne. And the ten northern tribes were, were led by people that well, had actually changed, the family line had changed two or three times in the, in the royalty there. And so you understand that God for, for, for centuries has tried to deal with Israel to bring them back. They went into the land that he gave them, he blessed them, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're out because they weren't obedient to purge themselves of the people that were in the land. Next thing you know, it's just a matter of time until they got into the same sins that the people were doing that God, kicked, that this, God displaced out of the land to give to them. And so God has given them years and years to repent. God, and then God's saying, look, I'm going to allow the enemy to come in. You understand, the Assyrian Empire actually conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria conquered them. I'm just giving you a little Bible history lesson. Some of you will appreciate it. Northern, northern kingdom fell to Assyria. And then the king of Assyria marched to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. That'll help you some. That'll help you with interpreting the Bible of the woman at the well, the story of the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. Why did the Jews hate Samaritans? One of the reasons was Samaria was the capital of Israel when the kingdom was divided. And they built another temple there to keep people from they built another temple there to keep people from going to Jerusalem to worship. Amen. That's good. It's good to know that stuff, ain't it? Gives you some understanding on the word. So anyway, the king of Assyria went to Jerusalem and laid siege to the city and was going to try to take uh, Jerusalem. And you remember the story, don't you? Amen. You've read it. You've heard it. The angel of the Lord went and smote and killed what? Hundred hundred sixty thousand, something like that. Over a hundred thousand of the enemies of the, of the troops of the enemy. And he had to pull a hasty retreat. You know, you, you know, if you're a commander of an army, you've got a few hundred thousand people laying siege to the city, and you go to bed one night and wake up the, the next morning and half your army's laying dead, that'll cause you to want to retreat, won't it? We understand that the Lord, he, he's standing here, and the Lord is giving this to the prophet, and he's talking about the Assyrian, the, the, the yoke of the enemy has been put on. And verse 27 uh, it says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden, now his burden is talking about the king of Assyria, the burden that the king of Assyria has laid on God's people. But you understand, in type and shadow, let's just interpret it as the enemy. The, the, the yoke that the enemy has put upon you. Well, what's a yoke? Huh? Now don't make the mistake of saying a yoke is a burden. A yoke and a burden are different things. So let me read this verse. Glory to God. Let me read the verse and I'll tell you. It says, This shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Understand this, is that a yoke and a burden aren't the same thing. The yoke's what you use to attach the burden to someone. And this is going to be good. Because some of you, man, you ought to shout because you're carrying burdens and you're pulling stuff. 
And you understand, God didn't create you, huh? What was that song? Was it the Rolling Stones you sing? You know, don't make me your beast of burden or something like that. I don't know. I never was a big Rolling Stones fan, but I heard that song. No, he said, I'll be your beast of burden, huh? How many of you all know that's what the devil wants you to sing? Maybe that's why they sing it. Glory to God. Maybe that's why the Rolling Stones sing that song. Because the devil wants you to be his beast of burden. Amen? I'll be your beast of burden. How many of you all know God did not create you to be a beast of burden? God did not create you to, to bear burdens. Oh, now, some people think they're being religious. Oh, now, brother, you just know that's the burden I've got to bear. God didn't create you to bear burdens. Now, there's a difference between a care and a burden. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I have the care of the church. In other words, there are things that have to be taken care of. That's the care of the church I have to take care of. But care and burdens are different. How many of you all know you go to work and there's some things you do at work that are cares? Do the paperwork, do this, do that. You go to school, some things are just care of it, right? It goes with the territory. It's the normal stuff you got to do. Then there's that other stuff that's a burden. In other words, it just kind of goes with the territory, but it ought not be there. If everything was being done the way it ought to be done, it's not a problem, right? Amen. <laughs> but it becomes a burden. But a burden is something... First thing you do, you can tell when someone's got a burden. You know why? No joy. That's the number one indicator someone's toting a burden. No joy. Because first thing you check that checks at the door, the first thing the first thing that's jettisoned over the side of your boat, amen, so to speak, when someone gets a burden settled down on them is joy flies out the window. Book of Hebrews said book of Hebrews chapter one talking about Jesus said that he's been anointed with the oil of of joy, the oil of gladness, the oil of joy, some translations say, above all his companions. You get a burden on you, the first thing, man, when you're toting that burden, first thing that goes is joy. What does James say? Seems like I remember reading someplace that we are to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations and trials. It doesn't say, you notice this, it doesn't say your trials and temptations are, are, are joy. You're in joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations. No, no, it says count them that. Why do you, well, why do I want to count that? That seems so weird. Why do I count that? Because it's just another opportunity for your God to show you how big He is and how much He loves you and how desperately He wants to do, Jeremiah 29, 11, His plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Glory to God. But you understand this, is that the anointing, it says, it says that His burden shall be removed and the yoke destroyed. Now this is what's important for you to get a hold of. You understand that I said the difference between a burden and a yoke. The burden is the heavy load. The bur- and you understand, was it Hebrews, is it chapter 12, 13, when it talks about seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness? Chapter 12, let us lay aside the sin and every weight that so easily besets us. You can just translate that word weight to a burden. Because when you talk about a burden, you're talking about a burden of a load to carry. And so understand this, that when you're carrying a burden, it besets you from running the race that's before you. Now, some of us, you might be thinking this is TMI. Was it too much information? You know back when they originally did the Olympics in Greece, that when the, the marathon runners, they run buck naked. You know, they didn't make Speedos back then. They, didn't have, they, they competed buck naked. Why? Because when they ran, they didn't want anything hindering them. They didn't want garments. You ever heard the statement in the Bible that says, gird up your loins? Have you ever heard that before? You know what that meant? It meant pull up your garments 
and pull something up under, between the legs to hold the garments up. And when you did that, it was so that you could move quicker. So that you could be agile. So that you could work. Because when you had those garments hanging down around your legs, it'd slow you down from running and being able to take large strides. Well, back to the example of TMI, those crazy Greeks running naked. How many of y'all know something's wrong when you see a bunch of men running naked? Okay? You know your civilization's on the brink of collapse when you see large groups of men running naked, okay? <laughs> but they would run that way. Why? Because they wanted to put aside the sin. And understand this sin just means missing the mark, right? That's literally what sin translates into. In other words, God said this is how if we want to do it. And you do something, you do something that's contrary, that misses that mark. And the result is you don't get God's best. See, that's why God hates sin is because God, because God loves you so much He wants to see His best operate in your life so desperately that He wants you to do it the right way so that you can hit the mark and enjoy the blessing, the blessed life that He intended you to. But when you sin, we miss the mark and we don't get His best. But he said, but they would run that way so they could set aside the distraction and the weight that so easily beset them. Amen? Some of us, you're carrying a burden and trying to run the race that's before you. I'm going to tell you what, though. Now, if you'll get a hold of this, there can be some good news from this. Remember when we were at Rama, the weight trainer for all the athletic teams at Rama? He would take the basketball team, and they would run. And we're talking Oklahoma, y'all. Summertime in Oklahoma, sweet glory. Forget cooking an egg on the sidewalk. You'd cook a chicken on the sidewalk if you didn't keep moving. Amen. It's hot. He'd get this little backpack and he'd put like a 25-pound weight in the back of it and put the backpack on the players and tell them, go run. You're jogging, go run. Guess what? They'd go out there and they'd run. That 25-pound weight, that burden strapped to their back. Now, how many of y'all know they weren't running real good with that thing put on? You know? Some of the teachers could outran them. <laughs> I'm not going to name any because they might hear this. Amen. <laughs> could outrun them. Why? Because they were running with a burden. Man, here's the good thing though. You know why they why they did now there was an there was a reason for running with a burden here. Now you don't have a reason to run with a burden, but the good news is if you have been running with one, here's the good news. What I'm about ready to tell you. He knew that if they were used to practice and running with that burden attached to them, that even though it was a, a detriment to them during practice, that as soon as they went click, plunk, that they were going to be able to run faster and run stronger and have more endurance because they'd been used to being weighted down with something that was a burden and taken away from them. And all it took was just shedding that and boom, and I'm good, I'm good. I got that off. I'm fresh. Huh? You understand that if you let that anointing, we're talking about the anointing. The anointing, it removes the burdens. The anointing that God has for you, if you've got a burden on you that's holding you back, the good news is, is that the anointing removes the burden, and when the burden's gone, whoo, man, I feel light. I feel light. 
Why? And you can run. And so there's good news. All you got to do is let the anointing of God take that burden off and you can run the race and you can be more effective. Amen? Praise God. And this is the good part. Not only does the anointing remove the burden, it destroys the yoke. It destroys the... What are you saying, Pastor? Remember, the yoke is the tool that you use to attach the burden. It's not the burden. It's the tool used to attach it. When you take oxen and you put a yoke on them and you yoke them together and you've got that thing put on them, that's when you can attach the cords to it, the ropes to it, and tie it to a wagon and make them pull. Well, when you take the wagon off, you've removed the burden. When you take the yoke off and break that thing and throw it away, you don't, that means you don't even have the capacity to even attach, reattach a burden to them because that which was used to attach the burden, to, to affect the productivity, to burden the, the person down, it don't even work anymore. It don't fit anymore. It's not there anymore. And that's what the anointing of God does. It removes the burden and then the very tool, the very thing that the devil has used to put the burden on you, to keep you bound, to keep you from being as effective and running the race that God's put before you, unhindered and unobstructed, it takes that, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if oh, somebody dropped me when I was a baby. Some of y'all wonder what I'm talking about. Mephibosheth in the Bible. It doesn't matter if it was a, bi- a bad childhood. Oh, you just don't know how bad that my parents did me when I was a kid. I wasn't loved. Oh, I was molested when I was a child. Oh, uh, you know, uh, I had I had a failed marriage and my husband or my spouse did me this way. And you know what? That's not the burden. That's the yoke that the devil's using to keep the burden tied to you. But when you realize that, wait a minute, God said that the anointing would remove the burden and that it would break the yoke. So that, can, that thing that the devil's used to keep yoking the burdens to you. You've went your life for years breaking things off, getting free, struggling to get free, and you've got it off and you shook it off and you try to go on your life, and then guess what? You go on for a couple of months, a couple of years, and guess what? Another burden tied right to it. Why? Because the yoke's there. But the Bible says that the anointing, it'll remove the burden, and it will destroy the yoke. And the devil can't even... The stuff... You realize God wants to get you to the point in your life that the junk that the devil has tied on you for years to keep you from being able to run the race that God's put before you, and He's called you, and the purpose that He's anointed you to do... That yoke, if you'll let God, glory to God, are you getting this morning? If you will allow the anointing to operate in your life, He will take that yoke and He'll break it and the devil won't even be able to put it on you anymore. And that purpose that God's called you to in your life and the power that God's made available to you because He's anointed you, it'll finally be able to break forth and you're going to be able to run the race and the work and the purpose that God's ordained and anointed you to do, you'll be able to do because the devil can't put his junk on you anymore. Amen. It's the anointing of God. It's the anointing that comes from the Holy, from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And speaking to those things. Don't be duped by the devil. Man, tear the, tear the thing out by the roots. Don't just try to deal with the fruit when it pops up. Get serious. Say, God, you've given me the anointing. You've made the anointing and it's available to me because I'm born again. I'm filled with your Spirit. I wasn't created to be a beast of burden. I wasn't created to be hobbled and handicapped my whole life spiritually because of this thing. Get the burden off of me, Lord. Break the yoke. Destroy it. Amen. Because, and that's the per, one of the purposes of the anointing. 
Hallelujah! It, understand this, it is, and, 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 and there's a song that St. Augustine does, the, the anointing is the burden removing, yoke destroying, mountain moving power of God. Amen? It's the, and it's available, and it's not just available to a select few. All the devil tell you this, yeah, that works for some people, but it won't work for you. Hogwash! God is not a respecter of persons. If God will deliver one person, if God will remove the burden and destroy the yoke for anybody you're a candidate for, because God is not a respecter of persons. There are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. Amen? Don't think, just because the eye has no need, the eye can't say the hand, I have no need of you because I'm, I'm seeing. Huh? How many of y'all know every part of the body is important? They're not all as visible, thank God. Amen? But they're all necessary. Glory to God. But the anointing, it, it removes the burden, it breaks the yoke, mountains are moved in your lives. Amen? Understand this, that Acts 1.8, Jesus said that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen? So in other words, and he's, how many of you know he's talking about being anointed? Jesus, the Bible says, what's it, Acts? Help me, Lord. Acts. See if I got my, Acts 10.38. Thank you, Lord. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Huh? Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. So, but, and then Jesus told His disciples, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the second thing we're looking at, the anointing, it removes the burden, it destroys the yoke, it produces power in the lives of the believer. What kind of power? The same kind of power that Jesus walked in. The same kind of power that Jesus walked in. Amen? Say, well, I don't feel it. Why? How come I'm not doing the miracles of Jesus? The Bible talks about giving yourself to your gift. Do we give ourselves to it? Do you give yourself to prayer and meditation about what God's called you to do? Because this is the thing, whatever you give yourself to, you're going to come proficient in it. If I sit and I watch Gilligan's Island marathons on cable, <laughs> I can tell you everything about Gilligan's Island. I can tell you he only had one shirt and one hat, but they looked new for years. I can tell you, I don't know why Gilligan only had one outfit and Ginger had a hundred. I don't know that, you know. How many of y'all know that whatever you give yourself to, you can become proficient at? Well, you have an anointing, and just because you have it, you've got to give yourself to that gift. You've got to give yourself to it. You understand, though, that there's power. There's power, and that word, and it, and it, does, it means power changes circumstances. Power speaks to dead things and gives them life. Power speaks to sick things and gives them health. Power speaks to lack and want and provision comes. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you understand this? Is that the anointing, that power is transferable. That's why the Bible talks about laying hands on people. You understand that you can receive some things just by faith. But the Bible talks about laying hands, touching people. Amen? Over in Mark chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus, you understand, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And this woman comes up behind Him in the crowd 
And she just, she's like, if I can touch the hem of his garments, I'm going to get my healing. And guess what? She went behind him. She grabbed Jesus' garment and Jesus just stopped. Who touched me? Peter's like, man, are you, what, what do you mean? There's a whole crowd of people here. Who touched me? Jesus said, someone touched me. They used faith. I felt virtues, King James says. Other translations say, I felt power flow out. You know that when God, when you are operating in your anointing and when you, when you, you can feel power flow out. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've laid hands on people before and I've not felt nothing. Just went and did it by faith. Right? Because it doesn't say you have to. No place in the Bible says they shall lay hands on sick and they shall feel power. Right? It just says you lay hands on sick. But there are times that you'll pray with someone and you'll lay hands on them. And you understand when I'm saying this, I ain't fairy tale talking stuff about this is just preacher stuff. The Bible says those that believe. How come I ever got nobody healed? Have you laid hands on somebody in Jesus' name and prayed for healing? Amen? Well, they ain't even saved. There ain't a single person Jesus ever got healed that was born again. Man, that's a revelation for some people. There wasn't a single Christian that Jesus healed. Jesus didn't heal a single Christian. Don't you you get You pray for them and let God heal them and see how quick they come running to Daddy. Amen? But Jesus said, I felt the power go out. And the woman felt the power. Huh? What does the Bible say? The Bible says the woman knowing in herself what had happened in her body, she felt a change in her body. So you understand this? The anointing is transferable. And, and finally, we're going to say this. Amen? The last thing. So we've talked about the anointing. It removes burdens. It destroys yokes. It, it, it transfers the power of God from one person to the next. The anointing does. And finally, this is it. John chapter 2, or 1 John, the epistle of 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. It talks about that, it, said, it literally says, you have, I believe the King James, or one verse is, you have an unction from the Holy One. The King James, I believe, says you have an anointing from the Holy One. Well, who's the Holy One? Jesus. You, he's speaking to the believer. You have an anointing. You are anointed. Not only is Jesus anointed, and Jesus has an anointing, but you, as a believer, you are anointed. And guess what? It says it teaches us and guides us in all truth. You know, verse 27 says, You have an anointing and you have no need that any man teach you. And some people have taken that and they've misinterpreted that to say, Well, I don't need a teacher. i got the Holy Ghost. I don't need a pastor. You know, there are people... Pastor Shine, we have friends that are deceived like that. Well, I don't need a pastor because the Bible says that I, I have an anointing and I don't have any need that any man teach me. Well, then either the Bible's contradicting itself, and how many of y'all know if you come to a conclusion where you think the Bible's contradicting itself, all it means is your interpretation's wrong. All it means is your interpretation's wrong. I, I, I could give you examples. But, all, but just take more of that. If you come to the conclusion that the Bible's contradicted itself, go back and pray for understanding because it just means you've misinterpreted. Because you understand, it's not saying that you don't have any need for someone to teach you because over in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how God gave a, the, uh, pastors and teachers. Why would He give something that people didn't need? What it's saying, though, is as the Word's taught that the Holy Spirit will take, if you interpret that correctly, the Holy Spirit takes that and He's going to help you understand it better. If you ask him, right? That's why we pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, uh, wisdom and revelation. John sixteen thirteen. Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. 
He said that He would guide you in all truth. So the anointing, the things we've talked about this morning, that the anointing is good for, is destroying the burden, is, is removing the burden, destroying the yoke. That the power of God operates through the anointing, and that by the anointing that's in you, He'll He will guide you in all truth. He'll teach you things. He'll guide you in all truth, and He'll bring to your remembrance the things that Jesus has said in the Word and the things He said to you by the Spirit. But understand this. We're going to wrap this up with this. Understand the anointing. We said this back a while ago. We said the anointing was it was always given for a purpose. How many of y'all know that the anointing was given for the work? You go back to that account in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to do stuff, to preach the Word. When the anointing comes, it's always for the work of ministry. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, that the ministry gifts are given. They flow, the Holy Spirit flows through ministry gifts to believers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen? Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good. Jesus did something. The anointing, the purpose of the anointing is for the supernatural power of God to come upon your natural flesh and for you to be able to do the supernatural works of God in your life and not just for you, think beyond you, but to other people. Amen? To, the, 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 but to do stuff. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. God has anointed us. Amen? You have been anointed. So this thing, that the revelation, we've been talking about the revelation of Christ. Peter got a revelation. You are Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Son of the living God. Amen? But because of what Jesus did, you are the Christ. You are anointed. You are the sons of God. First John chapter 1 says, As many as received Him, He gave them the power to become the sons of God. I'm not making this up, right? So this is the thing. There's a dual interpretation here. Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And because of what Jesus did and because of your position in Him and what the Holy Spirit has done in your life, you are the Christ, the sons of the living God. Amen? And you've been anointed and you've been given a the, the purpose that goes along with that anointing is seeking God, finding your purpose and knowing that when you find your purpose and the Holy Spirit speaks to you what your purpose is, He's already equipped you and made all the power that you need available to fulfill your purpose in the earth and in the kingdom. He's already made that available to you. Amen? Praise God. I don't know about you, but I've done preaching me happy. Woo! Glory to God. Let's stand and let's pray.